Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of So Strange. I'm your host, Andy Myers. I'm an author and a paranormal researcher who's still coming down from the sugar high of Halloween. But as we ease into the start of the holiday season, yes, I said it, the holiday season, hey, I've already seen some people putting up their Christmas decorations. You know who you are. And I'm not judging, because I put up my fall decorations the first week of September. So, quick drama McGraw with the decorations there. But as we ease further into the chillier and darker time of the year, I thought I'd brighten the mood a little bit by responding to some questions that people ask me over on the old Facebook page. So, regardless of what kind of supernatural topics you're most interested in, there's going to be something for everybody on this episode. So, expect the unexpected, keep an open mind, because things are about to get so strange. Now, before we jump right into this, I will remind everybody that in addition to being an author and a paranormal researcher, I am also a professional psychic medium. So for the past 13 years, that's been my full-time job. I wear many hats, but that's the main hat that I wear. So some of these questions that people submit are more of the um, you know, questions having to do with the afterlife and communicating with the deceased and, you know, but variety is, is amazing. So I get people asking questions about mysteries of the world, mysteries of the universe, you know, Bigfoot sightings, uh, dreams, uh, you know, how intuition works, past lives, reincarnation. It's going to kind of runs the gamut. But, uh, the first question was by somebody named Jax Gunther. So thanks to Jax for submitting this question. Uh, Jax wanted to know, uh, they say that we can hear and talk to the dead and that they can hear us as well. Um, what do you, uh, basically Jax is asking, can they see and hear what we're doing all the time? <laughs> you know, our own personal business, etc. You know, one really cool thing about anybody who crosses into the spirit world, Jax, uh, and this is relevant for everybody listening because I think we've all had, unfortunately, have had people who have passed away. Spirits in the afterlife, they have very good self-awareness, and they have very good awareness in general. Uh, so they know when they, they're very good at taking their cue to leave, to grant us privacy, in moments where they just don't need to be around, whether that's an intimate moment or, you know, what, what have you. You know, they, they have no um, interest or intention of, you know, hovering around us all the time. <laughs> My God, even the, the most... Um, you know, high maintenance person on planet Earth would not require spiritual assistance uh, 24 hours a day. So they grant us space when we need space. They're here to help when we need help. And uh, they're very good at kind of sensing and intuiting uh, when when they need to leave. Now, I will say, you know, if we're talking about our loved ones in the afterlife or, you know, guardian angels, spirit guides, basically anybody in spirit form who's looking after our well-being, there's essentially two different ways that they can uh, keep tabs on us or, or see us. Now, one is they can essentially, for lack of a better expression, they can look over their shoulder to see what we're doing down here on earth. And they do so from their vantage point on the other side, heaven, the afterlife, whatever you choose to call that. And, and the afterlife is a very busy, bustling place. <laughs> it's not just a cloud that you sit on and play the harp for all of eternity. The afterlife, uh, quite literally, you can do anything, just about anything over there that you can do here. Uh, you can take a hike, you can read a book, you can sing, you can dance, you can throw a football around, you can have a discussion group, um, you can engage with, you know, in meaningful conversation, you can 
you know, pet kittens and play with puppies till your heart's content. But as they're doing all these fun activities, again, they can kind of glance over their shoulder to see what we're doing here on Earth if what we're doing might uh, be of interest to them. Um, now, the second way that they can uh, kind of see what we're doing here in our you know, physical state of living is essentially they can duck underneath the curtain, that curtain that divides heaven from earth, you know, that, that spiritual divide that separates the dimensions. And when they cross that curtain, sometimes we can physically feel their presence. And, and I think many of you might be able to relate to this. You know, if you felt a loving presence around you during a time when you were stressed, if you felt enveloped almost by, um, you know, a calming vibe or a calming sensation. Some people have even reported, you know, in times of grief or, you know, just having a really bad day, they can almost feel like a hand, a physical hand on their shoulder, just reassuring them. And of course, it's, you know, it's, it's an invisible presence there with us in the room. Uh, but when that happens, it's because the spirit has, you know, physically crossed into our plane. And sometimes that's accompanied with other physiological sensations, maybe ringing in the ears. Some people get butterflies. Some people feel hotter or colder or kind of flushed in the cheeks. Um, but yeah, that's a good question, Jax. But yeah, simply put, rest assured, if we are doing something that requires privacy, nobody in the spirit world uh, is <laughs> should be nearby. Uh, Darla Ramsey had a question and Darla wanted to know if you are born with a birthmark, can it be, can it have a significance in terms of, uh, something having to do with the past lifetime? I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, the correlation between, uh, birthmarks and past lifetimes can be quite significant. Um, you know, there's some debate and speculation within the reincarnation community uh, about this, but some people believe that a birthmark is essentially essentially like a soul scar, you know, so, you know, maybe somebody who is born with a birthmark on their back, you know, you can <laughs> just let our imaginations run wild for a second, but maybe that person born with a birthmark on their back was shot at a game of poker in the Old West because they cheated somebody out of a good hand. Or, you know, somebody with a, a birthmark on their neck, you know, maybe they were hanged in a past lifetime. But it's thought that the birthmark itself and where it occurs on the body is almost a representation of trauma that occurred on that particular body part. You know, so again, as sad and morbid as it may sound, a birthmark on the back, maybe it was a person who was a slave and was whipped or, you know, somebody with a weird uh, birthmark on their hand. You know, maybe they were burnt by fire in a past lifetime. And the list goes on and on. And not to get too carried away with the morbid details, but th there is some interesting uh, stories. You know, one a humdinger of a story that comes to mind, true story. Um, I actually detail this um, quite extensively in my most recent book, which is called The Sky Diaries, A True Story of Reincarnation. It's actually my family's story. My It's my memoir, if you will. But uh, as a little side tangent in that book, I, I map out a true story of this kid who was born on the border of, I believe it was Israel and Syria, at this place known as the Golem Heights region of that area. And around the time that the kid was three or four years old, he started to report to his family that he felt he was killed in a past lifetime. Well, you know, his family was open-minded. And after, you know, years and, you know, time went by and this kid was still saying, I got killed. This is the name of the town. I know it. I was hit in the head by an ax and it was a murder. And the family started to take this seriously. They took the boy to said location 
Um, and, and, and at that point, all the memories started to come back to him of who the murderer was, uh, where it took place. Um, they, he even remembered that, you know, the name of their murder, the murderer, the, the family confronted the alleged killer. Uh, he was a little awkward and obviously, you know, taken aback, but he didn't initially admit to anything. Well, the boy then took the family to this other location. They started to dig into the ground and they, they, they found a body. They found a body of a person who uh, had a chunk of their skull missing right in the front, right in the front part of the forehead. Now, coincidentally, uh, that was the same part of the little boy. Uh, he was born with a birthmark on his forehead that correlated to the fractured skull of the skeleton of the body in the dirt. A few feet away, they start digging some more. They found an axe that was buried, a.k.a. the murder weapon. With this newfound uh, possible evidence, uh, they again confronted the alleged killer. They got the authorities involved. And long story short, uh, this guy was put on trial. They had enough evidence to actually convict him. Um, now, we could dismiss this as a uh, you know, uh, third-hand or fourth-hand story, but uh, Dr. Eli Lash, who was a, uh, he was a doctor, he was also involved with politics, and uh, he dabbled with uh, getting medical facilities um, kind of established in the Gaza Strip region of that area. Now, he was with the boy and the family as they made all these discoveries, and uh, kind of uh, he included some of these um, in some of his writings and pass passed them along to another German author who published it, and uh, it's a true story. Yeah, birthmark on the spot in his head that uh, he was killed by an axe in his past lifetime. Now, the boy was, I believe, three or four years old when all this happened. Um, and the the killing, the murder, actually happened about 10 years prior. So he got a pretty quick turnaround there, six years. And, of course, here we are talking about reincarnation, <laughs> obviously. So six years later, uh, home, homeboy comes back, lives another lifetime, determined to rat out his killer, and he did. Uh, so mission accomplished, but uh, just goes to show, don't be messing with people because they could come back in another lifetime and find you again. So yeah, birthmarks, uh, pretty interesting. So thanks for that question, Darla. Kathy Halder says, I'm curious about orbs. Uh, Kathy's seen two bright green ones and wonder who or what they may have been. Yeah, orbs are uh, really catching some momentum in terms of popularity among the paranormal enthusiasts. And I think the reason being is we all have a phone readily at our fingertips and equipped on these phones are high-resolution cameras. Um, you know, we don't have to carry around one of those clunky camcorders from the 1980s that weighs, you know, 35 pounds. So people are taking more pictures. Uh, people are posting these pictures to social media. You got orbs showing up in pictures, you know, translucent little bubbles. Sometimes, yeah, in Kathy's case, they're green. In other cases, they're blue. Um, a lot of people report being able to see faces or, you know, shapes within the bubbles. Now, I have to admit, a lot of people have, you know, sent my office uh, pictures of, you know, every color, size, and shape of orb you can imagine, and everybody wants my interpretation as to what it is. Um, and, you know, some of these, you know, sometimes they claim to see a face in the orb, and when you zoom up, if you really want to you know, squint your eyes, you can sometimes almost make out a face, but in many cases, it's kind of a stretch. It's almost uh, that phenomena called pareidolia, which is basically the brain's ability to see patterns or, you know, recognizable shapes within our environment, you know, almost like 
you know, when you see a potato, uh, a potato chip that looks like the face of Abraham Lincoln or, you know, things like that. Um, so in some cases, I, I don't think there are actually faces or hidden messages within the orbs. In some cases, there might be, but it's highly debatable. Now, what are these things? I think in different pictures, you have different things, Kathy. Um, I was once at a kind of like a, pure, a paranormal or, or spiritual retreat. I guess it was more of a spiritual retreat. We were meditating and, you know, drum circling and all that kind of fun stuff. So at the end of the night, we had a bonfire going and, you know, people are snapping photos. We're capturing hundreds, thousands of orbs all over the place in every single photo. And everybody's freaking out. Well, it didn't take long before we concluded there was a lot of dust. I mean, we had this bonfire going. We had old crackling firewood and the smoke. It was just dust. Every little bit of orb that we were finding in that um, in those photos was attributed to dust in the air. Um, now, other people have sent me uh, video evidence, you know, baby monitors, ring doorbell footage, things like this of orbs that behave in, in a way that dust usually wouldn't you know, things flying in what looks like very um, intelligent patterns, you know, almost like there's a, a, a they're controlled by an intelligent presence who's causing them to go on a, a particular trajectory. And, and incidentally, a lot of these uh, cases of these, you know, baby monitor footage, uh, the baby seems to be stirring right around the same time that this occurs, which you could chalk up to coincidence, but you know, I think in some cases it's the child sensing a spiritual presence in the room. Now, a spirit can take the form of anything a spirit wants to, you know, a, a streak of light, a shadow, an orb, a bubble. Um, you know, they, they come in many shapes and sizes. But yeah, one of the forms that a ghost or a spirit entity could take would be a bubble or an orb in a photo. Why not? Spirits are essentially pure energy. Uh, what better form to take than a bubble or a circle? you know, a circle indicative of, you know, infinity, um, if that makes sense, kind of getting metaphorical there. But I remember thinking back, uh, it was 2008, 2009, right around that ballpark. But it was the first Christmas that my family had celebrated since my grandma Myers had passed away. And I was really close with my grandma Myers. And uh, the, the first family photo of the first Christmas after she had passed, we looked at the, the photo and uh, right there on my left cheek, was a little translucent bubble. And, you know, I kind of smiled and it warmed my heart. And I just kind of said, well, you know, I suppose it's just grandma showing up to give me a Christmas kiss on the cheek, you know. So sometimes that's the case. But as to who and what they are, the answer is going to vary depending on the photo, depending on the situation, because yes, it could be a ghost, could be a, could be a, a spirit visitor, could be an angel, could be anything, any number of things. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint at times. Nathan Alsman uh, Nathan has been really active on my Facebook page, but he had a question. He says his mom passed in 2020 and he looks for signs from her, but he never seems to get any. Uh, he says he gets signs from his brother and his dad once in a while. Uh, how can he be sure that, uh, mom's still around me? You know, keep in mind, Nathan, and again, you know, with this post, my intention was not to give psychic readings. Uh, so, you know, I'm leaving some specific things out, obviously, kind of fielding general questions. But generally speaking, you know, here in 2022, you know, the year 2020 was not that long ago. I know two years uh, seems like a long time, but I, I feel like time operates a little bit differently for those in the afterlife. You know, two years can go by and it can feel like uh, two two days or two weeks. Uh, in fact, 
also I'll go so far as to say time is an illusion. Time really doesn't exist. Um, so, you know, their reference point for calendars and, and things like that in the afterlife, it, it's just hard to translate. So I guess what I'm trying to say, Nathan, and to everyone out there, even you, dear listener, is that if you had somebody pass away relatively recently and you've yet to get a, a conclusive, clear-cut sign or message from them uh, in the afterlife, uh, just be patient. You know, when the wind when the wind blows just right, they will find a way to get our attention. And spirits are... They're persistent enough and creative enough that if they're trying to get our attention to deliver a urgent warning or message or sign that we truly, truly need, uh, they will not stop until the message is delivered. So keep an eye out, Nathan. And the other thing that I found uh, helpful for people is to designate a particular something to be the sign from your mom. Now, you know, those classic typical ones, some people find meaning in butterflies or cardinals or rainbows, but you know, you can be specific, keep it realistic, you know, don't, <laughs> don't ask your mom to deliver a sign of uh, causing you to, you know, see a polar bear. You're not going to find a polar bear walking down the street, uh, but maybe she could visit you in a dream. Maybe she could leave you pennies or a feather. Um, you know, those dream visits actually are, are really powerful, really rare, um, special, precious, treasured. Um, you know, those of us who are lucky enough to have had a dream visit, from a deceased loved one will never forget it. And those are the dreams that seem more real than all the other dreams. They seem vivid and lifelike and almost as real as reality itself. Now, if you have one of these dream visits, all right, Nathan, if your mom's soul meets your soul somewhere between heaven and earth, she's going to look happy and healthy and youthful, and uh, you're going to wake up feeling like you really just saw her. And it could happen. You know, it could happen. Set that intention. And again, keep uh, keep being patient. A uh, nice lady named Dottie Berg-Hall uh, wrote in, and she says, How many spiritual guides do I have? Do our souls travel when we are sleeping? Kind of a two-part question there. And again, uh, with this post, I was not giving psychic readings. But uh, just to generally answer Dottie's question, how many spirit guides does a person have? Uh, on average, three or four. So I always joke, uh, most of us have like three and then a really short one, three and a half on average, 3.5. Uh, I've seen people with as few as two guardian angels or spirit guides. I've seen others with as many as seven or eight. It, it really depends on a lot of factors, including how interesting or how difficult a person's life is meant to be. If If it's within a person's fate and destiny to really... You know, just have a really interesting, um, uh, you know, uh, challenging life where the, the tides are always changing and there's a lot of uh, moving parts and uncertainty. Uh, there may, might be more spiritual helpers needed to get you through all those experiences. And the second factor is if a person's destined to live a long lifetime. Sometimes, you know, living to be 100 years old uh, will require more of these spiritual helpers to, you know, get us through all those decades. Um but now, I want to clarify something. Uh, a guardian angel and a spirit guide are the exact same thing. A lot of people want to know the difference. It's kind of like Coke or Pepsi. We're talking about the same thing. It's just different terminology. Um, as far as uh, souls traveling while we're sleeping, Dottie, uh, yes, our souls can and do travel. Some people call this uh, astral travel or astral projection, uh, but it's kind of you know known and accepted that we are comprised of three different parts body, mind, and spirit. And sometimes while our body's resting in bed, 
snoring and keeping your spouse awake, <laughs> our spirit can travel wherever it wants to. And, uh, you know, that may be to, you know, a brief jaunt over to the afterlife to have a visit with dearly departed loved ones. Or, you know, a person's soul could be chilling on a beach in Hawaii. I know a lot of people, I've spoken with a lot of people who wake up feeling exhausted. They say, man, my dreams are so vivid and I, I wake up feeling like I went on all these adventures at night. And then I wake up and I'm even more tired than I was when I went to bed. And I always think, well, yeah, you were probably, you know, your soul was traveling while you're sleeping. Now, it's thought that uh, there is a tether or a silver cord, as some people call it, um, that basically anchors our soul to our body. So no matter how far our body, our, our soul drifts from our body, whether it's to Hawaii or the afterlife or wherever, it can come back. And there's a little bit of, um, I don't know, there's a little bit of uh, proof behind this. You know, there's been a lot of people who have had out-of-body experiences or near-death experiences where they their their soul basically floated upwards and they looked back at their body, you know, laying there on on the bed or laying, you know, down there bleeding at the scene of the car accident. And and these people report that there's a silver cord, you know, basically either, you know, coming out of their chest or coming out of their stomach, the cord that is essentially linking their soul to their body. So uh yep, yeah, it's possible to travel while we're sleeping. Uh I've done it a handful of times. I think we all do it on a regular basis, uh, whether or not we realize it or not. But that's a that's a really good question, Dottie. And regardless of how many guardian angels we might have, regardless if you know who they are specifically, uh, be sure to ask them for help. Uh, you can do so quietly in your thoughts and prayers and meditations or out loud as you're driving to work. Because today with uh, Bluetooth technology... <laughs> If you're talking to yourself in your car, uh, you know, the car next to you will just assume that you're, you know, you're on Bluetooth. They won't know that you're talking to spirits. So got you covered. Uh, next, we have Beth Palcher Cornegay. Uh, Beth is uh, actually listed as a top fan, which means she's really active on the old Facebook page there. And Beth wants to know, what are the lake monsters? Nessie, Champ, Ogopogo, etc. It's a million dollar question, Beth. Um, if I had the definitive answer by now, I'd, you'd probably see me on uh, on Animal Planet already. You know, but a lot of people speculate these sea creatures, these sea monsters, and sea monsters are as old as time. I mean, as, as long as people have been sailing the seas, there's been reports of sea monsters. You know, big things that large enough to take down ships, things with, uh, you know, weird features, big eyeballs, huge flippers, sharp teeth. And a lot of people speculate nowadays that these sea monsters and lake creatures could be like a remnant or a descendant of things like a plesiosaur. Now, plesiosaurs were around during the time of the dinosaurs. Uh, massive flippers, really long neck, ridiculously long neck. But the, the weird thing is that a lot of the reports of the Loch Ness Monster are people seeing a creature's neck coming out of the water, but there's, they're almost like seeing humps, like there's some curvature to the neck or the spine. And some people have reported seeing the neck and head of the Loch Ness Monster sticking straight up out of the water. Now, that's a little bit of an inconsistency because according to their anatomy, by their very nature, when plesiosaurs were alive, they, their, their neck was in a horizontal orientation. They could only stick their neck straight in front of them, not above them. Now, through evolution, maybe that's evolved and changed. Uh, I guess that's subject for debate. And other people speculate, well, maybe these humps are just part of their spine or their curvature. Then you got other people who theorize, 
you know, there they could be uh, large sturgeon, uh, they could be giant eels, uh, maybe all of the above. You know, um, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of good footage. Actually, you know, it kind of goes in waves. It's kind of streaky. You know, these Loch Ness monster sightings. I think. Um, was it 2019, I think, was a really busy active year where there was a lot of sightings. Then things kind of go quiet for a while. I think that's how it is with a lot of things, whether it's Bigfoot sightings, UFO sightings. And I know with, at least with UFO sightings, in the UFO world, they call it a flap, um, a, a cluster of sightings. Uh, but they call them uh, like a flap. And yeah, it's, it's true with anything. But as, as to what they are, um, it's, it's still hotly debated. The photograph that created the most popular image looks like a dinosaur. But could a dinosaur really exist in the Scottish Highlands? The country's dramatic landscape is made up of some of the oldest rock layers in the world. And embedded in them are thousands of extraordinary dinosaur fossils, which have long drawn scientists to the country including Dr. Steve Brusati. In the lagoons and along the rivers and the lakes, you would have had dinosaurs. These kind of animals did indeed live in Scotland. There were sea monsters here. But the question is, are there any sea monsters now? The last known large dinosaurs in Scotland went extinct with the rest of their relatives 66 million years ago. And extinct animals don't just suddenly reappear. Or do they? In 1938, a fish caught off the coast of South Africa shakes the scientific world. The coelacanth has long been thought extinct. It had previously only ever been seen in fossils over 70 million years old. But the coelacanth, it turns out, has been hiding in plain sight. Could something similar have happened in Loch Ness? A supposedly extinct prehistoric beast lurking hidden from view in its peaty waters. And that clip was brought to you courtesy of National Geographic UK over on YouTube. You know, uh, one thing that also comes to mind regarding the, the loch specifically in Scotland, that is murky water. That's really uh, dirty, murky, hard to see in water. Uh, so every, <laughs> it's like every exploration team that goes there, visibility is always the main issue. Now, yes, they have sound detectors. You know, the te technology keeps evolving and advancing. But in terms of using our peepers to see uh, a sea creature, the chances are slim to none. Now, the food source, uh, the food resources available for such a large monster, such as an ancestor of a plesiosaur, food might also be a problem as well. Uh, because, yes, there are fish and other things in the lock, but, you know, if you're talking per square foot or per square mile, it's kind of slim pickings. Um, back in, gosh, I don't remember what year it was, but there was a, um, a thorough scan of the lock, of Loch Ness, and it was called Operation Deep Scan. Basically, they they took as many boats and vessels uh, equipped with all the high def tech and they they basically spread them out over the whole lock and they scanned the entire thing front to back top to bottom left to right now they did come back with a big a couple big pings a couple big radar signatures of something nearly the size of a ship that was way down deep in the in the waters 
But again, they, they had no visibility. It was just a radar hit, and they, they don't know what it was, so it was still an unknown. Next, we have Melissa Brown. <laughs> Melissa said, uh, no question, just wanted to share this. Uh, she bought a new pair of, uh, of running shoes last night, and she was amused by all the figures on the box. She says there's a Bigfoot running with his uh, running with his dog, and she just had to share it with me. And she included a picture of the shoe box. Yeah, there it has has Bigfoot and some other goofy stuff on it. Man, if I had a nickel for every time somebody sent me a Bigfoot related meme or picture or T-shirt or gift, man, I tell you what, my here in the uh, so strange studios, I am immersed in everything weird encrypted and and especially Bigfoot. Um, truth be told, I'm as interested in aliens and other cryptids and the afterlife and reincarnation. I love it all. I love it all equally. But for some reason, people really uh, enjoy sending me all the Bigfoot stuff. And, and I appreciate it. So thanks, Melissa. We have Natalie Pfeiffer. Natalie Pfeiffer, uh, she took a shotgun blast approach. <laughs> she, she didn't send just one question. She thought of every question she's ever pondered, and she just threw them all at me. So I'm going to choose a couple of them here. Uh, Natalie said, are crystals and minerals able to clear your energy and raise your vibration? I think they can. You know, crystals are, are interesting. I mean, you know, they kind of get pigeonholed into being like, you know, woo-woo and new age and metaphysical and, you know, it's, it's you know, for the weirdos and the psychics. But crystals have practical uses. I mean, a lot of our um, new technology, everything from our laptops to our cell phones literally have crystals inside of them. You know, from an energetic sense, I, I do think they're highly efficient at storing and holding energy. So yes, in a way, I think uh, rocks, crystals, gemstones, they can raise our vibration. I guess the real X factor is how much stock do you put in the rock's ability? In other words, I think an item or a, you know, whether it's a lucky penny or a lucky rabbit's foot or a cursed Ouija board... Whatever the item is, I think it, it can be about as powerful as you give it credit for. So, uh, yeah, they can work. I, you know, m me, I'm I'm a little rock and gem and crystal collector. I don't claim to know what what all properties each one has or what exactly they're supposed to help with. You know, some are good for protection, some are good for boosting energy. My daughter Sky, uh, especially when she was younger, she was obsessed with rocks. She had this little treasure chest of like God. There must have been like a hundred little rocks and crystals. And she'd call them her dream rocks. And each night before bed, she'd pull one out of her treasure chest and she'd ask me what it is. <laughs> Half the time I didn't know, so I'd make up a name. I'd say, oh, that's a unicornerite or that's a sleep titerite. <laughs> and, I'd, and we'd literally put it in her pillowcase on the bottom of her pillow and she'd sleep on top of these rocks. And then come laundry day, you know, we'd hear all this clanking around in the dryer. And I was oh, man, we got half a dozen of Sky's rocks bouncing around the dryer. But, uh, yeah, rocks, crystals, they can raise our vibration, Natalie. Uh, she also wants to know if we are living in a matrix. Yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> the more I live, the older I get, the more I'm convinced we are inside of a simulation, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm not the only one to think this. As crazy tinfoil hat of an idea this is, uh, there have been many credible, insanely smart uh, researchers, astrophysicists, theorists, uh, theologians, uh, philosophers who are coming out saying it, it is more likely than not that we are living inside of a matrix, aka a simulated reality that feels real, looks real, tastes real. Pizza is delicious. But, you know, but it's it, what if it's not? What if it's an elaborate 
video game, for example. You know, I tell you what, it, the, the pain is real when you cut your finger. Uh, the love is real, you know, when you're falling in love and you get the butterflies and all that. And, uh, you know, we, we have to work, we have to pay our bills. I mean, even if, even if we are living inside of some sort of aliens glorified video game, what else are we going to do? We still got to, you know, do what we do. We're still going to fall in love. We're still going to go to work, pay our bills. We're still going to listen to podcasts. You know, we're still going to worry about earthly things, you know, like giving our car an oil change and things like this. Cause without doing, without going through the motions that make us human, we would no longer feel human. So I don't care if it is a, a matrix or a simulation, um, because even if it is, we're, we're, we're probably not going to find out. All we're going to see is little clues and evidence is when something goes wrong, right? When the code gets glitchy and, uh, you know, you see a bird flying through the sky that suddenly is frozen. And uh, actually, uh, go back, if you haven't yet, go back to listen to the very first ever episode of So Strange, because I believe that one was on glitches in the Matrix. So, uh who knows, Natalie, um, if we, <laughs> if things get a little glitchy and, uh, the whole system breaks down, you know, and it's funny too, because not, not funny. It's not funny. That's the wrong word, but it's ironic that we talk about living in a matrix or a simulated reality because the whole world went viral in 2020. So if we are living inside of a computer program, it caught a virus a couple of years back. So, uh, Natalie also wanted to know what is on the other side of a black hole. And the answer is all of those socks that disappeared from the dryer. Because I can never find a matching pair to save my life. I buy I buy Sky, you know, brand new pairs of socks. They all match. I, I wash them, I dry them, and then I, they come out with one of each. I'm like, where where did they go? Where did they go? Uh, speaking of black holes, on a serious note, if you haven't yet seen a movie called Interstellar, go watch it. It stars uh, Matthew McConaughey. I'm not going to lie. There's parts of the movie that are really, really sad, but it's also really, really interesting because that I know of. It is the only uh, time travel slash black hole type movie where all the physics and all the science checks out as valid. Uh, yes, they took creative liberties, but everything that transpires within this movie was verified as, yes, this is actually how time and space work, and it was verified by the science dudes and the astrophysicists of the world. So thanks, uh, Natalie, for all those good questions. <laughs> and I, I have no, um, I make no apologies uh, by saying that I don't, I don't have all the answers, never have claimed to have all the answers. It's just fun debating and talking about them. But at this moment, uh, maybe we'll, I'll pause. Uh, I'll ask you to do me a big favor. Just go ahead and rate and review the show if you're enjoying So Strange. Uh, share it with your friends and family. Pass it along to people who might also enjoy these types of subjects. You can feel free to check out my other podcast, which is called Paranormal Dads. My good buddies Eddie and Pat co-host that show with me, and we have a lot of chuckles uh, discovering and exploring and debating uh, the world's monsters, myths, and mysteries. And last but not least, you can become a subscriber to this show. For only $4.99 a month, you can unlock one bonus episode each week. So that's simple math. Everyone who becomes a subscriber will unlock eight episodes total per month. And uh, those super strange bonus episodes, uh, some of those will knock your socks off. So hopefully you're enjoying those. Uh, click the link in the show notes for more info. And uh, we'll keep this paranormal train cruising down the tracks. And up next, we have Kathy Rosenberg-Humbert. 
who wrote in, and she says, uh, she, she got straight to the point here, do I believe that the end of the world is near? Uh, kind of a loaded question, but it's a fair question, given all that we've been through in recent years, right? Um, you know, this is a question people have been wondering since humans had the ability to think and talk. Is the end coming near? Is life as we know it, um, you know, is the sun setting on us, basically? Um, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, regardless whether or not we are here to see it, uh, I think the world, the earth, will continue to spin. And uh, last I checked, now don't quote me on this, but I think our sun is set to burn out in about eight more billion years. Will we be around at that point in time? Probably not. I think we will we'll have run our course as a species by then. Uh, maybe we'll be living on some other planet. Uh, who, who knows? Who knows? But uh, will we watch the end of the world? Uh, probably not. Uh, neither will our future generations. Um, I think there's just enough going on in the world to raise our anxiety and make us ponder these questions. You know, you got the threat of, obviously, viruses and, and disease and nuclear war. And despite all these landmines that we could potentially step on, I think the world's going to keep going and keep spinning. And uh, hopefully things will get better. Uh, but regardless, whether things get better or worse, I think humanity will endure. And uh, so my simple answer is no, the end is, is not near. <laughs> I know most people are going, yay! And you got a couple people who are just absolutely spent. They're probably thinking, oh, darn, man, I was hoping this all be up pretty soon. <laughs> Time to punch the old time clock. Get off this rock. Um, anyway, uh, we have Justin, Fe Justin Fester, Fester, if I'm saying that right. Uh, when will the aliens come out to play? You know what, Justin? I've done everything but, you know, paint a landing strip in my backyard. Um, I, in fact, I have designed crop circles in my backyard using my mower. I actually convinced my daughter that a UFO landed in our yard last summer. Um, I'm telling them, you know, you can land here anytime. Uh, you know, I give them my address. I, I've personally known people who have been taken and who have met and seen alien beings with their own eyes. And I tell these people, you know, pass, give my address to these aliens because I'd like to meet them. I don't want to be probed, but I do want to take a, you know, just a flight around the universe and have them drop me off safely back in my bed. Um, seriously, when will they come out to play? They're up there. Um, this, and what I like about talk about UFOs and alien anymore like the people who don't believe that they're here are the minority. Even skeptical people are like, okay, I don't believe in ghosts. I don't believe in the afterlife, but aliens are real. And, you know, when skeptics are coming out, there's too much conclusive evidence of things flying around in our sky. Uh, we're getting pictures. We're getting videos. We're having the military admit that there's stuff flying around our airspace that we don't know what it is. It defies the laws of physics. It can accelerate and decelerate and act in ways that don't uh, neatly uh, exist within our understanding of physics on this planet. A lot of these things flying around don't even have wings. <laughs> so whatever they are, they're not flying here. They're popping in and out of our reality. When will they you know, land in the middle of Times Square and, and walk out and wave hello to everybody and have a little parade? I hope soon. I hope soon because I just the anticipation. I don't know why they haven't yet. Well, okay, I do know why they haven't yet because they'd probably be greeted with uh, Cletus with a shotgun. Get out of here, aliens. Don't belong here. You ain't from around here. Get. Sorry about that. 
Sometimes I get a little carried away. <laughs> no offense to anybody named Cletus out there. Uh, but, you know, if you watch the movie Independence Day or watch, you know, any number of sci-fi alien movies, not everybody would be welcoming. Not everyone would be, you know, would greet them with open arms. You know, I think human beings, uh, for, for many reasons, sometimes we respond with fear when we are presented with something new and different and unknown. Uh, you know, that's been true, I think, historically, as, you know, native people have clashed with uh, European explorers and et cetera, et cetera. But I think a lot of people uh, are curious. We want to know who these beings are, why they're here, how they got here. That's that's one of my main questions. How how do you get here? I mean, the fact that they're out there is kind of generally accepted. accepted. There are literally, literally more planets in the universe than there are grains of sand on all the beaches on planet earth so the odds are astronomically um overwhelming you know that there could be billions of intelligent uh, civilizations out there certainly some of them have you know survived this uh technical adolescence that we are experiencing right now some of them have evolved and developed technology to travel the cosmos without blowing themselves up or killing each other in the process so i want to know how they got here that's that's my main thing um you know you got these other people who uh you know claim that they have handed our government uh technologies that is have advanced our civilization or have traded technologies and bartered you know, I, I'm torn on that. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it is true. I don't know if it's a good idea. Um, are we, as a human species, uh, peaceful enough and intelligent enough to utilize alien technology without weaponizing it? Because <laughs> us humans, it's just what we do. We we weaponize everything. Heck, I mean, as a psychic, I know that, uh, you know, back in the day, there was uh, Project uh, Stargate, I believe was the name of it. And uh, it was they were trying to use psychics for uh, espionage, you know, to spy on the on the Soviets, and uh, that's that's a whole nother can of worms. But you know, basically, any any uh, advantage that we can get on an enemy, uh, we will take it or we will weaponize it. You know, aliens could hand us the coolest, uh, you know, thing that that could like revolutionize, you know, the the industry of health, and humans would be like, that's cool, but can you put a gun on it? So I don't know. I don't know. Again, no offense to anybody out there. That's just human nature. Is I think at the core, uh, we are still a we're still a, a primitive species who's still kind of learning our alphabet. And uh, so, when will they come out to play? Uh, I don't know when they'll make their presence known. But until then, we're going to keep looking at the skies, and uh, we're going to keep wondering what these things are zipping around in our airspace. Chris Witt wanted to know. Uh, can people you've never met or celebrities visit you in a dream? Uh, she recently had a very vivid dream of a country western singer who passed away in 2020, and it was like meeting him in person because the dream was so vivid. Uh, yeah, you can, I mean, in dream world, anything's possible. I always say, you know, dreams are the playground of the soul. You know, we can astral travel, uh, we can catch glimpses of future events. We can dream of past lifetimes. Um, in our dreams, we are capable of connecting with and interacting with a whole host of people, you know, uh, some who have passed away, uh, even celebrities who have passed away. And keep in mind, you know, when a celebrity passes into the afterlife, I know this this is hard for a lot of people to wrap our brains around, but, you know, a celebrity does not necessarily r retain that celebrity status in the afterlife. In the afterlife, we are all celebrities equally. 
You know, because you factor in reincarnation and the fact that we've all lived countless lifetimes spanning way back deep into history, every time period, every region of the world, we've all probably been famous a time or two, whether it was in a military capacity, an entertainment capacity, a famous actor or writer or sailor or explorer. Um, you know, so yeah, whoever the celebrity was that you met over there, I, I bet it did feel real. Um, and you may have had a you know, again, kind of like a spiritual rendezvous, an astral travel, uh, you know, experience where your soul and, and this person's soul met somewhere halfway between heaven and earth. And uh, that's that's really interesting. Good question, Kim. Or excuse me, Chris. Chris Witt. Uh, next, we had Diane Anderson. Uh, why is it so hard to be psychic about ourselves? That's the age-old question. I think the easy answer, Diane, is because, uh, quite simply, we're too close to our own situation. You know, when I deliver psychic readings, uh, it is easiest to deliver information to a person who I'm just meeting. Uh, blank slate, complete stranger, don't know anything about them. Because when that's the case, I'm unbiased. Um, I have no preconceived ideas. I have no agenda. Um, you know, the, the more I get to know a person, the harder it becomes to give them a psychic reading. Uh, for example, I can't read, I can't do a session with a friend or a family. I know, you know, most of my friends and families, I know too much about them. I know where they work. I know their kids' names. I know their dreams and aspirations. I've known the troubles that they've been in, that, you know, the, the trials and tribulations they've been through. So with all that information, there's not much left to intuit, you know, to intuit rather. And, you know, I guess the same applies to about ourselves. You know, when we were too close to our own situation to remain neutral. So, yep, admittedly, the intuition works uh, not so well on ourselves compared to other people, which is why, you know, the psychics of the world go through the same struggles that anybody else does. You know, I, 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 I'll go on record saying I've been divorced twice. I've made mistakes. I've, you know, I've made some blunders that I should have seen coming. But like anybody else, I was just putting one foot in front of the other. And no amount of intuition uh, can prevent a person from you know, experiencing life and all its glory for better or worse. So, um, but I will say, you know, when the going gets tough, that's why it's equally, uh, excuse me, uh, extremely important to rely on the intuition and guidance of our guardian angels, our spirit guides. Because uh, sometimes when, you know, we can't necessarily access that internal compass to keep us on the right trajectory, uh, sometimes uh, it's wise to consult with other people who can, you know, so... Uh, Jerry Ann Shimmerdla. Sorry, I'm totally butchering that, Jerry Ann. Jerry Ann Shimmerdla. Uh, she says, Is my dad, grandma's, and best friend around me? I feel them a lot, and I see butterflies a lot, uh, which lately reminds me of them. Yeah, and here we are talking about, uh, you know, signs from heaven, signs from the afterlife. Uh, some people, you know, for various reasons, they find hope and faith and, and um, you know, they get warm fuzzies by seeing a butterfly or dragonfly or maybe a cardinal that reminds them of a loved one. Um, you know, my daughter and I, we we lost our dog, Zico. He was my loyal sidekick for 13 years. And he, he recently, well, recently, he, he passed away back in uh, about eight months ago, right around Valentine's Day. And at the time, uh, he was literally at the moment he was being put down, I looked out my window and I saw two cardinals. They just landed in the bushes right on my on my back patio. And because of that, you know, it was easy, kind of just attributed cardinals to be a sign from Zico. 
And so every time we see a cardinal, you know, we we think about him and kind of wink and nod to the heavens and kind of remember his legacy. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, um, keep looking for signs. They're all around us. And, and speaking of, you know, signs and, you know, angelic, you know, pick-me-ups and stuff like that. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners are tuning in from elsewhere around the country or elsewhere around the world, but if any listeners are from my home city of Omaha, Nebraska, on November 11th, I'm doing a class called An Angel for Every Occasion, and uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So Kathy Myers makes me wonder if uh, up next Kathy Myers might be a long-lost relative of mine because she even spells her last name the same as me, which is not the most common way to spell it. Uh, Kathy says, not sure how to word this, but when a person passes, do they think the same? Is their thought process the same? Uh, I hope this makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense, Kathy. Uh, Simple answer is yes and no. (laughs) Uh, Sounds like the complicated answer, doesn't it? Um, When when we cross over, uh, a lot of the core elements of our essence and personality and demeanor remain the same, but basically we're a polished up version of ourselves. So, you know... Uh, it's kind of like the rough edges are, are, are kind of rounded out and, um, you know, we are basically a better version of ourselves. <laughs> uh, the ego is lowered. Uh, that's, that's one noticeable, uh, difference is when we cross over, um, it's easier to admit what we did wrong. It's easier to, uh, admit and realize and take stock of what we did right, what we did wrong, what we hope to do better next time. So, um, yeah, what we're really getting is the best version of a person when when we pass away. You know, here on earth, I mean, life is hard. <laughs> you know, it just, it is. We're dealing with anxiety and, and, and sometimes depression and financial struggles and, you know, uh, resentments that have build up, built up over the years from complicated relationships and, you know, got work issues and all this stuff. I mean, we're a hot mess as collectively, as a species, we're just barely getting by. <laughs> but... When we cross over, I feel like our perspective changes because not all of the answers, but I think a lot of the answers become crystal clear. We realize why we were here, what our mission was, what we were supposed to be doing and focusing on. And we go through what's called the life review process. And it's not so much judging ourselves. And and believe me when I say nobody's judging us when we cross over. There's the controversial statement of the day. But it's not so much judging ourselves as as critiquing ourselves and, and kind of making sense out of what we did. And with that perspective, um, I think we, you know, we 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 think the same, but at the same time, we we don't. So um, we're granted a better perspective. So if anything, that helps us think more clearly. So I hope that makes sense, Kathy. Uh, Perry Salberg Beckvar. Uh, Perry had this question. Uh, she said she was headed to sleep and she was in the stage between awake and asleep. And suddenly she saw the blackness opening and pictures were popping up, pictures of people and places that she didn't recognize. So in, in her head, uh, she didn't know these pictures. She had no reference point. And a voice said, she could actually hear a voice say, if you can hear me, you know me. And she was wondering if I could make sense out of uh, what that was all about. Sounds like a powerful experience. Um, I, 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 it goes without saying, uh, the best, um, most likely explanation is that voice that you were hearing was probably a guardian angel or a loved one in the afterlife. And as far as the pictures and the, the kind of scenery that you were seeing that you really didn't have a reference point, um, I think those were most likely past life images, Perry. And again, 
you know, I don't talk about this a lot on the show, or at least I haven't yet. One of my absolute favorite topics in the whole world is past lives and reincarnation. Um, it is one of these topics that comes with so much overwhelming factual evidence. It, it just absolutely cannot be denied. And although, you know, uh, life, again, life is hard. We have enough going on in our lives to keep us busy. You know, gosh, it's enough to make our head spin to keep our bills straight, work schedules, kids' extracurriculars, you know, doctor's appointments. Uh, it's amazing we function at all. So with all that occupying space inside of our brain, you know, uh, past lives become kind of a distant afterthought. So in terms of who we've been and what we've done in previous versions of ourself and, and past lives and reincarnation, uh, we don't often consciously remember our past lifetimes. But again, you know, that half awake, half asleep phase makes sense for us to access that type of information. Because when we're half awake and half asleep, uh, sometimes that's when our intuition speaks most clearly to us. And sometimes that's when we have access to things that we don't consciously, uh, you know, uh, things that we can't consciously access when we're awake. So, yeah, sounds like you had a little bit of a past life uh, trip there, Perry. So I'm glad you came back to the surface. And uh, but, it, yeah, it is interesting. Uh, you know, it's it's possible that uh, a person can dream about past life events. In fact, I've talked with a lot of people who have dreams that they can perform an activity or a talent or skill that they've never done here on earth. For example, I've had people tell me that they've had dreams of like fluently playing the piano, even though currently they don't know how to. I've even had people claim that they fluently spoke a foreign language in their dream. And then upon waking up, they don't need, they didn't know what the words meant. And uh, I can relate to that because uh, one morning I woke up with a word in my head that I had never heard before and did a little Google search and come to find out it was in Portuguese. Um, so, yeah, a lot of weird stuff can happen in our dreams, Perry, including hearing from people in the afterlife and tapping into past lifetimes. Kathy Bruns Harrington, uh, she asked, they say that when a person passes, their loved ones are waiting for them on the other side, yet a spirit will reincarnate. So say when a person passes, um, like she says, her grandma passed over 40 years ago. Uh, Kathy's basically asking, will she get to see her grandma when when she crosses into the afterlife? Uh, what if grandma's already reincarnated and she's living somewhere else on planet Earth? Will they miss each other? And this is uh, a, one of the most common questions that I'm asked, that I've been asked over the over the course of you know last decade. Will we see our deceased loved ones when we die? Will they be waiting for us over there, or will they be reincarnated, and will we miss them? Um, there is a theory. Um, it's kind of in the wheelhouse of bilocation. You know, there's a theory that our soul may be able to be two places at the same time. In other words, part of our soul might might be in the afterlife, while another part of our soul is here on Earth, living, you know, living uh, living out our newest life. Uh, there's a little bit of physics and science that actually backs this up. Now, there was a study done. Uh, I believe I saw this experiment on a documentary. The documentary is called What the Bleep Do We Know? And I think there was a sequel called uh, What the Bleep Down the Rabbit Hole. But in this uh, documentary, uh, they were studying, you know, spirituality and science and, you know, where's the point at which those two, uh, those two things meet? And they did a study. And 
I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but they took a, a tiny bit of matter. It was like a, a molecule or, or an atom or just, it was some little tiny microscopic thing. And they, they essentially cut it in half and they kept one half of that bit of matter in a, in a Petri dish, essentially in a controlled science lab here on planet earth. They put the other half of the particle in a space shuttle and they literally flew it up into orbit. And what they found is that essentially when they would wiggle that particle here on Earth, the corresponding half up in orbit would wiggle at the exact same time and the, in the exact same fashion with no delay. It was almost as if these two bits of matter were still entangled. They were still connected even though they were physically apart. Uh, so it was almost like they were instantaneously communicating with each other or, you know, operating um, similarly, even though they were independent. Um, scale that up. You know, what if our soul, what if all of our souls operate in much the same fashion? Could it be possible that, you know, when Kathy passes away in you know, a long time from now, uh, maybe she will be reunited with her grandma in heaven? even though grandma passed 40 years ago, because maybe half of her grandma's soul is in heaven while half of her grandma's soul is, you know, in Italy living out her next lifetime. Uh, it's, it's possible. Anything's possible. You know, science is just barely scraping the tip of the iceberg when it comes to figuring out how we fit into the grand scheme of the universe. In our times, we have seen a similar gift with St. Padre Pio. St. Padre Pio, the humble uh, Capuchin uh, priest, one of the greatest saints of our times, he is known to have had the gift of bilocation, to be in two places at the same time. And the first bilocation he experienced that we know of uh, is when he was still a student, a seminarian, uh, studying for the priesthood. He was in the choir, which is where the monks pray, uh, and he said all of a sudden he found himself in a wealthy person's house and there was a woman giving birth to a child to her daughter but as she was giving birth to her daughter her husband was dying and he he's all of a sudden in this home he sees this and the Blessed Virgin Mary appears to him and says to Padre Pio I'm entrusting this newborn child to you. She's my, my special daughter. I want you to take care of her. And Padre Pio says, well, how will I find her? I don't even know where I am. And the Blessed Mother says, she will find you, but first you will meet her in Rome. And it's said that the mother later spoke about when, her, when, when this was happening, she says she saw a Capuchin monk leaving her husband's room. So she saw Padre Pio. 17 years later, this 17-year-old this girl now, her name was Gio, Giovanna, um, is in Rome. And she goes to St. Peter's Basilica because she's having doubts about her faith and she wants to talk to a priest about the doubts she's having. She couldn't find any priests until she sees a Capuchin monk and she says father can I speak with you the Capuchin monk invites her into one of the confessionals she shares her doubts and the Capuchin monk gives her peace he lifts these doubts and she gets out of the confessional and then she wants to meet this monk he stays in the confessional and finally when st. Peter's is closing 
the sacristan says to her, you need to leave. She says, no, I want to meet the, the monk in the confessional. He looks in the confessional. He says, there's no monk in here. There's nobody in this confessional. Okay, a year later, she's 18 years old. She's in San Giovanni Rotondo, which is where Padre Pio lives. Padre Pio sees her and he says to her, Giovanna, I know you. You were born on the day your father died. And she's like, what? And she says, I've never met you before. He says, yeah, I met you in Rome last year. And then she remembers. And then he tells her about being there when she was born. And she begins to weep. And she says to Padre Pio, Father, will you take care of me? And Padre Pio answers, surely my daughter, you have been entrusted to me by our Blessed Mother. Come often to San Giovanni Rotondo and I will care for your soul in accordance with the wish of our Heavenly Mother. And that video comes courtesy of Father Mark Goring on YouTube. And that's essentially what, what we're talking about here with reincarnation is, you know, by location. Can a person, can a soul be in two different places at the same time? You know, it goes without saying, you know, a lot of people who know me uh, know that I'm not a particularly religious person. You know, I was... Uh, attended uh, Catholic school from kindergarten to uh, eighth grade. Nowadays, I consider myself a more spiritual person, uh, hopelessly curious, <laughs> never stop asking questions. But just because I'm not particularly religious doesn't mean I, we can discredit uh, anything from biblical times. Because for as long as people have been alive, even back, you know, two, three thousand years and or two or three hundred thousand years, as long as people have been here, we've been asking questions that are far above our pay grade. You know, whether it's uh, by location, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, lake monsters, whether it's interpreting dreams or wondering when the aliens are going to come down. But uh, I love the curiosity. I love the questions. And that about does it for this episode of So Strange. You know, they say variety is the spice of life. And I guess that's true about the afterlife as well. You know, there's so many paranormal, spiritual and, and otherworldly mysteries out there. And one thing's for sure, we're never going to run out of content on this show. Uh, thanks to everyone who submitted a question, and uh, thanks for understanding that I typically address as many of them as humanly possible. And again, I don't claim to have all the answers, uh, but I sure do love keeping my head in the clouds and discussing uh, the mysteries of the universe. You know, whether it's inspiring stories that are good for the soul, or spine-chilling mysteries about unknown creatures, I can't get enough of this stuff. And clearly, neither can you. So I guess we all crave a little bit of everything from the paranormal buffet, a sampler platter of all things that are so strange. <laughs>